0: started. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can be here this morning in your presence. Father, we are thankful for your word. Thank you for the things that you teach us about yourself, about how you desire for us to live. And Father, we know that uh, our hearts can be soft toward you and your word only because of what Christ did on the cross. We are so thankful for that sacrifice that uh, took your wrath. It should have been poured on us and poured it on Jesus. And because of that, Father, you have given us new hearts, new lives. And uh, I do pray that uh, as we begin to look at our home and uh, all you have for us to live out the gospel in our home. Father, that our hearts would be soft and in tuned toward you and that we would learn from you this morning as we look into your word. I just pray for each one of the ladies here. Father, if there is still some <coughs> coming that may have gotten caught up in the um, extra traffic, I pray that you would protect them and that you would bring them here safely. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have some questions for you to start off with this morning. How often have you met with Jesus this week? Did you find a quiet place and a quiet time? Or were there little ones all around your feet? Did you quiet your heart and your mind? And did you plead with Jesus to help you to draw near to him? Did you open up his word expectantly, longing to behold wonderful things there? Go ahead and turn over your notebook and let's look at the purpose. Because these questions that I just asked you really are just another way of helping us understand our purpose in being together each week. So let's look at that purpose. We gather to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live out the gospel, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. It's been two months since we've started Wellspring can you believe it and since we've started our bible reading plans and we've been talking about from the very beginning about making sure that reading the word is not just a task but rather that we are purposeful as we open up his word that we are meeting with him that we understand how desperately We need Him. And desiring to get Him in all of the Word. That's why we have a yearly reading plan to get us into all of the Word. Has it been hard for any of you? Are you having trouble keeping up? Have you thought about giving up? If so, I want to encourage you this morning... Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If you're feeling overwhelmed this morning because you are not keeping up in your reading plan, maybe you're behind, and there's no joy in it as you're reading because you feel guilty that you're not keeping up, how about letting today be a reset day. Can I encourage you to get your plan back out again and just pick up where you left off? Okay, You will finish eventually, if you don't give up. And if you're using a dated plan and you're one of those who just get stressed out because you know you're behind, then start reading what's assigned for today. Will you miss some things? Sure you will. But remember we are aiming for to cultivate a lifelong habit. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, think of the kind of women we will be. Having been with God over and over again and having read through the Bible ten, twenty times, won't we know Him better? than we do today. And isn't that what we want? So please, wherever you are, ladies, don't be discouraged. Especially if you're new at this, is if this is the first time that you have ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, anytime that we are beginning something new, there's always an element of discipline to it. That's why we call these disciplines. But as we persevere in our time in the Word, let me just tell you, your time there, His Word, only gets sweeter. Discipline is not a bad thing. It's helpful because it helps us to keep coming to God, to keep meeting with Him. And as we do, He's so faithful To transform us, to motivate us, and to give us the desire to be with him more and more. And increasingly, these words from Psalm 119, 103 become ours. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That, ladies, is what we have been cultivating over the past two months in Wellspring. And that's what we want to cultivate for the rest of our lives. Discipline number one, then, is to prayerfully shepherd our hearts toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And that's all about our hearts. It's so important that we understand the condition of our hearts. I hope you're able to see that more and more Because that's what makes us yearn for Jesus more. And it drives us to shepherd our hearts back to God's word. To feed our hearts from his word. If we do that, we will be overflowing with the God of the word over time. And we'll be ready to interact with others. With wisdom and grace and humility, so that they are pursued, uh, that, excuse me, so that they are spurred on in their pursuit of Christ. But it's the opposite for women who live in a spiritual desert because she doesn't prayerfully meet with God in His Word. What does that woman have to say to someone that she runs into? except maybe repeat a few things that she's learned years ago, maybe months ago, or to repeat a few buzz phrases that she's heard at church, even though she's really not living them out. See, that does nothing for the growth of the body. And we want to be a part of that, right? That's not what we want to be, is just repeating things that we've learned from long ago. We don't want to be that kind of woman. For the gospel's sake and for our own heart's sake, we need to be a different kind of woman. The kind of woman that really does take her heart before God in his word. And then discipline number two, she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Today, our teaching moves into discipline number two. Not because we move on from discipline one and coast and forget all about our hearts, right? We get that. You get that, right? Okay, we never graduate from our hearts. But we're moving on to discipline number two because the household is the first place where the gospel's work in our lives has an opportunity to be responsible. Excuse me, an opportunity and a responsibility to be displayed. I was reminded last week of my own sinful heart. My home often is the place of my greatest failures and my greatest regrets. Even when I don't mean to, even when that is not my desire. I can so easily become impatient with my husband. And I can become really frustrated with my mom. Maybe some of you have strained or broken relationships with family members. Some of you maybe even have lost hope. But this is what makes our home such a perfect showcase for the gospel. Isn't it just like the Lord To bring us to the end of ourselves. He did that for me last week. So that he gets all the glory for the work that he does in us. As we live out our lives in our household. The gospel is that powerful. I was so encouraged by that this last week. To enable us to love the people we live with. Those that we are responsible to care for. Because God loved us first. I want you to listen to the quote. And if you want, it's actually on the back of your um, outline this morning. This is from Council of the Cross by Elise Fitzpatrick. A great book. And it's how she ends her chapter on the gospel in our relationships. She said, the gospel changes everything about us. Most particularly, it changes how we love and treat others. Soaking ourselves in the astounding love of God for us, weak and sin- sinful as we are, will cause us to become people who love. Isn't that encouraging? The pure, undefiled Prince of Heaven, Jesus Christ, was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We see that in Matthew 11:19. It should be obvious that he loves sinners because he's loved us. Living in the light of this truth will enable us to love. It will remove all our self-righteousness and craving for respect. It will free us to lay down our lives and not keep a running tally of who sins most or who serves most. And it will make us patient and gentle. The gospel is the environment for all our relationships. The gospel teaches us to love. 1 John 4, 9-11 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. Ladies, we must strive for this kind of love. We need to plead with God to develop his love in our hearts. We're not just going to wake up some morning and find that our household is all that it should be. It doesn't work that way, does it? No, we have to labor and apply ourselves and take advantage of every opportunity that God gives to us to love those in our households. And that leads us to discipline number three. With a heart for God and the gospel, and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. If we are being faithful in shepherding our own heart with God's word, and we are being faithful in ministering to our household, then we will care for others. We'll be a useful instrument in the hand of God to minister to those beyond our households. When we're talking to another woman and she's spiritually dry, we'll desire to care for her and we'll know where to start to help her. We'll talk about what? Her heart. We'll ask her what her heart is doing as she interacts with God's word what she's aiming for as she's reading his word, it always comes back to our heart and God's word. Because that's where God reveals himself most clearly to us. So wherever she's at, our desire will be to point her there. And if we are intentional about these disciplines, if we labor, if we're diligent, we will be women of integrity And we will be what we are wherever we are. We won't be one thing in private and then another thing at home. And then something else to the church. And then something different altogether when we go to work or to school. We will be the same woman wherever we go. Whoever we come in contact with. We will have something to contribute and we will desire and we will put the gospel on display. So with that understanding, now let's look at the home. Go ahead and take out your notes and we're going to look at the home, a biblical survey of the home. Now we're seeking, as we, do, as we are going through this this morning, to gain a sense of what God thinks about household relationships. What does he say about marriage? What does he say to parents, to children? What does he say to one generation about being concerned about the next generation? Ladies, this is so important to all of us. You don't have to be married or to have children to be concerned about the next generation. God is concerned about what we're teaching, the little ones, in next-generation ministries. He's concerned about how we speak into the lives of those in student ministries, even our influence when we babysit, when we have other little ones around us, with our own grown children, with our grandchildren. We live in a culture that has so little regard for the household or for the family. So we all must strive to understand God's heart. We must be concerned about our household, whatever that might look like for you. And remember, our households are not always going to look like they do today. So don't check out. This is for every single one of us, regardless of the season of life that we're in today. So this morning, we're going to begin to look at nine categories to help us see God's heart for household relationships. Obviously, we're not going to get through all nine of those today, so we'll finish that up next week. In some of the categories, we're going to do the same thing that we did as we began to look at the heart, as we began to survey the heart. We'll start in the Old Testament, and we'll work our way through into the New Testament. Again, that's because God unfolded his revelation to us gradually. So we're going to look at what God gave us early on and then what he's given us later so that we get a full sense of his heart. Now, as Christians, we are not under the Mosaic Law. Okay, We don't obey the command, honor your father and your mother, because it's in the Ten Commandments. But we do obey it Because Jesus taught it in Matthew 15.4. So in the same way, when we see Old Testament promises, we need to understand to whom those promises were given. We'll see promises in the very first passage that we look at this morning. But those are promises to Israel, not to Christians today. So does that mean that the Mosaic Law has no value to us as believers? No, absolutely not. It does, because it reveals God's heart. All of Scripture is revelation, and all of Scripture is profitable. The Old Testament provides examples, and it shows us the character of God. But when it comes to understanding what we are to do in regards to our household relationships, we want to obey for the right reason. Under Christ, we exalt Christ. He is greater than the Mosaic law. So let's go ahead and look at the first category, the relationship between the heart and the household relationships. We're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 12, so I want you to turn there. Okay, Exodus 20:12 is in the middle of the Ten Commandments, and verse 12 is the fifth commandment. The first four commandments are concerned with Israel's relationship with God. Okay, They're vertical. But here, the commandments turn and become more specifically horizontal, focused on relationships with people. Verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So the first human relationship that God deals with is the parent-child relationship. And then in verse 14, he says, You shall not commit adultery. Again, God is focused on the home. He's concerned about the husband-wife relationship. And then in verse 17, God is concerned that Israel think rightly about his neighbor's household. When he says you shall not covet your neighbor's house Nor sh- nor shall co- covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants Or his female servants or his ox or his donkey Or anything that belongs to your neighbor Israel was supposed to be very concerned That they were not looking wrongly at another person's household In the Ten Commandments we see the first thing God describes in the first four commandments, is how to relate rightly to Him. But then the very next thing that He addresses was the household three times in the last six commandments. God had very specific expectations for the home as He's giving the Mosaic Law. He is thinking about household relationships. The home is what God has on his mind. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 4. We're going to look at verse 9. Now if you remember, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. But they rebelled and they would not go and take possession of the land God was giving them. And so they wandered through the desert, the wilderness for 40 years. They weren't allowed to go into the land until the generation that rebelled died off. So now Moses is talking to the children who are grown up, who were told originally to honor their parents. So Moses is reteaching them the law before they enter into the promised land. Verse 9. He says only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. There's discipline number one spelled out for Israel. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Do you see how he ties the heart with the home? Verse 10 Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. See, the burden for the Israelite household was for the parents to make known to their children what God did in redeeming them from Egypt. So when God gave the old covenant in the wilderness, wilderness, his intent was not just for that generation. All along he has had a view towards the coming generations. He's saying this isn't just for you. You must also teach this to your children. And do you see how closely this follows on the heels of caring for their own soul? God's heart has always been that we would care for our hearts and tell it to our children. So now let's go to Deuteronomy 6. It's the Shema from the Hebrew word to hear, to listen, to obey. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Discipline 1, there it is again. And here is discipline number 2. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He is saying everything you do in your house, from sleeping to getting up to walking to talking on the way as you leave your house, as you're headed out for the day, as you come home, back to your house, he's saying your household, Israel, is to be dominated by concern for God's word. There is an inseparable connection between love the Lord your God with all your heart and teach them to your children. Discipline one, our heart and discipline to our household are inseparable. But remember, that was specifically for Israel. But one thing that we can do, maybe something similar, is to take something from our time in the Word and write it down on a note card or put it on your phone and meditate on it. To use God's word to prepare us to live out discipline too. We can pray over those verses so that our heart is ready when our husband walks in the door. Or maybe when your little kids get up from their naps when your roommate comes home. So that we are concerned for God's word and that we don't separate that concern from our household. We need to be ready. We need to prepare ourselves for that. Now, let's turn to chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, And then he lists seven nations that are greater and stronger than them. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire." God is saying there cannot be one household where an Israelite marries a foreigner who worships another god. That kind of household is not to exist in Israel. God feels strongly about the kind of household that he desires. And this kind of idolatrous household is not to exist. Why? Hopefully we know the answer to this as we've looked at our hearts. Because hearts are easily led astray. Hearts get turned away from Yahweh. The burden was on the mothers and the fathers in Israel to not let their children do this, to shepherd them in such a way That their children, the next generation, would want to follow God. That they would not want to abandon God. And part of that meant, don't let them marry people outside who have other gods. Now, as we've talked about the disciplines week after week, we've seen that the condition of our hearts will impact our home. Right? But here we see the influences within the home will impact the heart. Do you see that? It's a two-way street. Now let's go to Psalm 78 and we'll look at verses 1 through 8. Now as we, as we look at this together, see if you can keep track of how many generations are referred to here. The psalmist says, Listen, O people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the, to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children. Okay, that's one generation. But tell them to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children, that's four generations, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So what's the main concern here in this passage? The next generation, they all must know that God is trustworthy and that they can put their confidence in him and that they are to obey him. Look at verse 8. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart. They didn't shepherd their hearts, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Here is another example of the inseparable connection between what we do with our heart and the impact that it makes on the next generation. God makes this so clear, doesn't he? Now let's go to Malachi. We're going to look at chapter 4. It's the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew. God is telling Israel what will precede Christ. Return, He says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So what's being said here? God's way of preparing his people Israel for his coming Included making sure that the household relationships were strong Like God designed them to be God is saying, I'm going to come and smite everything And one of the ways that you can be ready for this Is to strengthen your families." God's heart is inclined strongly toward the home. It is so important in his mind. Now let's see how this is repeated in Luke. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll look at verses 16 and 17. Here the angel Gabriel is talking to the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias. And he says this, And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Does that sound familiar? And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was to make certain that Israel did not miss the importance of household relationships. Okay, now let's turn to Ephesians 6. God's heart for the household relationship continues to be displayed in the New Testament. This is one I'm sure you've gone over with your children look at verses 1-4. through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this is a repeat of the fifth Commandment, but now brought under the authority of Christ for his church. This verse also gives us the motivation for obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, not simply from fear of punishment, but out of a reverential love for God. So, children need to be taught to shepherd their hearts well in the gospel, so as to obey, so as to honor their parents in a way that honors the Lord, addressing the right heart attitude as well as the right outward action. And it is the responsibility of the parents to teach their children. Now obviously we know God does the work in their hearts, But parents are responsible to teach them. And they are to teach them by modeling for them the attitude that they have toward God. And a parent's attitude toward God will be revealed in their attitude toward their children. you find that to be true? Do you often see how your children are mirrors? sometimes of things that are hard to see? This passage shows us that parents are to be shepherding their own hearts so as not to be frustrating their children. Now, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The household is so important to God that in order to be elder qualified, a man must manage his own household well. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? That's how important the household relationship is to God. They are a measure of of a man's qualification to lead others. And it's not just the men. Look at Titus 2, 3 through 5. Hopefully you have this memorized. Most of us are familiar with it. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to, and now notice the focus on the household, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. God is making it very clear that a woman's faithfulness in her home is of the utmost importance in the gospel mission of the church. Certainly, relationships with husbands and children are a part of what's in view here for women who have those relationships. But the kind of character described isn't anything that's limited to wives or to mothers, Notice that the older women are to have godly attitudes, godly speech, godly conduct, so that they are able to teach what is good. And look at what is to be taught the younger women. Besides loving relationships with their family, they are to be taught self-control, purity, diligence, kindness. These are all character qualities we all need to live out, especially in our household, so that God's word will not be dishonored. Now the word dishonored in the Greek is blasphemed. It means to speak evil of. The consequences of our character and our faithfulness in our home And our faithfulness woman to woman, as older women teach the younger women, impacts how others speak of God's word. Ladies, it's that important. So, after surveying the Old Testament and working our way into the New Testament, how could we not be concerned with our household? Can you see how very near and dear this is to the heart of God? Now, we're going to move on. This week and next week, we're going to look at examples from Scripture of women who understood God's heart in this and some who didn't. So let's look at number two on our outline. The Old Testament woman who grasped God's heart for the family, for the home. I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. Now, this book takes place during the time of Judges. The book of Judges ends with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the spiritual climate. No submission to God, no submission to authority. Let's just decide for ourselves what we think is right. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of like our culture today, isn't it? But Ruth's life was a refreshing exception to that. In Ruth 1, we find a man named Elimelech who takes his wife Naomi and his sons and he moves to Moab because of a famine in Israel. And there, Elimelech dies. And then after that, His sons marry Moabite women, and then the sons die. Naomi hears that the famine is over back in Israel, and so she heads home. At first, her daughters-in-law desire to go with her, but Naomi encourages them to stay in Moab. One of them agrees, but the other one, Ruth, clings to Naomi. Again, Naomi urges her, Go back, like your sister-in-law did, back to your people and to your Moabite gods. But Ruth responds with a bold declaration of faith. Look at verse 16 of chapter 1. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And listen to this. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth didn't want to stay in Moab. And she didn't want to go back to the Moabite gods. She makes a bold pronouncement that Naomi's God, Yahweh, the one true God, is her God. Now listen to what she says next. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. See, in Ruth's mind, to have Yahweh as her God meant being devoted to her mother-in-law. Ruth is a beautiful role model of a woman whose heart for the one true God was first demonstrated by loving her widowed mother-in-law. That same mother-in-law who told her to go back to Moab and the Moabite gods and to find a husband there. The mother-in-law who by her own admission was bitter. We see that in chapter 1, verse 20. She returns to her home in Bethlehem, and the other women say, Is this Naomi? And then verse 20. Naomi says, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. See, she isn't just bitter. She's bitter at God. And remember we saw a few weeks back that bitterness is evidence of pride? There's a sense of entitlement here. I think she thinks that she deserves better. But this proud, bitter woman is the family that Ruth chooses to love. Let's look at how she cares for Naomi. Turn to chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. Ruth asked Naomi if she may, glean, may go and glean. Now this was the provision under the Mosaic law to care for their poor. The poor would come in and they'd pick up any of the leftovers that were in the fields after the harvesters were done. Naomi agrees, and so Ruth goes gleaning. And after gleaning for a while, she meets the landowner, Boaz, and amazingly, her reputation of integrity has preceded her. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Boaz says to Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. were two things that Boaz knew about Ruth before he ever met her. The first one was all that she had done for her mother-in-law. And the second was that she sought refuge under the wing of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now we actually know very little about Ruth. We do know that later on she goes on to marry Boaz, and they have a child, Obed, who um, was the grandfather of King David. But we don't have it spelled out for us anywhere in Scripture, what kind of a wife she was, what kind of a mother she was. But what we do know is that she identified Israel's God, our God, as her own God, as she cared for Naomi. Even though she was a foreigner even though she had no guarantees that she would ever marry or have children, especially in a foreign land. But her love for God drove her to love her family, which was Naomi. Listen to what the women said to Naomi after Ruth did marry Boaz, and Ruth bore a son. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Now think of that culture. That saying a lot has given birth him. Ruth demonstrates that for us. God's heart for the family and the home. You see how important that is to God and Ruth got it. So to wrap up this morning I want to ask you a few more questions. and These are going to be in your homework that uh, is due next week. Thinking about what God has to say about our households? Have you found yourself playing leapfrog over your household relationships? It might be to get to ministry, but it also could be to get to that to-do list that drives you, that drives me. Think about the spiritual influence that you do have in your home. What do you see as the fruit or the consequences of that influence? You're going to be asked to ask others to help you evaluate that this next week. And in light of all that we've learned this morning from God's word, are you grasping God's heart for household relationships? And do you see how closely it is tied to our hearts? Ladies, there is much at stake. We need to understand this. Do you know what's at stake? The next generation. So let's remember how obedience in our own homes exalt God and his gospel work in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you have given us your spirit, you've given us your word, and you make it so clear to us your heart for the household. Father, I pray that as we continue to think about this throughout our week, as we are in your word and we think about how we can care for others in our household with that, I pray that we would be diligent in that area. Father, I pray that, that uh, we would live out those truths within our household, that we would be faithful to teach them to our children, grandchildren, to the next generation. Father, you have given us an incredible responsibility. And so I pray that our hearts will grasp that. Father, it is also an amazing privilege that we, you actually use us, that we can be used by you to pass on the things that you teach us to the next generation. Oh, Father, we plead with you that this will be on our minds, that it will be in our hearts, so that we are faithful to you, so that we will exalt you in your design for the household, and that we will be faithful so that your gospel work will live on in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Right. On the homework for next week, I I mentioned as you look at it, you'll see the first three questions are due next week, and then the ones on the back that Jamie will go over um, in teaching next week will be due the following week. Is that clear? Okay.